0: Are you a Bake Off household? It's the final this week, isn't it, is that right? Bake Off final, Steph, Dave and Alice, they're gonna do their, whatever it is, signature, their technical, uh, then their showstopper and Prue and Paul will judge as to whether they've they've nailed it Bake Off-wise. We'll know who the winner of Bake Off 2019 is. It'll be very exciting in our household. When we, when we watch Bake Off, we, we quite enjoy imagining what it would be like actually not to cook the things, but to eat them, which is, uh, which is why Pie Week is our favorite week. Having lived in the north of England for 11 years, we're very keen on Pie Week. It's a, it's a top week. And we're quite interested in food, as people generally, we're quite interested in food, aren't we? I mean, we sort of know we need it. Uh, we tend to think about the next meal coming up. We, we can often plan our lives around it. We, we know we need it to survive, and actually quite a lot of the time, we, we want it. And we know also, don't we, that the amount we, we eat uh, and what we eat affects the way we feel about ourselves, the energy we have, how we can cope with the day or not, can even affect our sense of well being. But the Bible says we're not just machines that need fuel, just physical things that you have to stuff some energy into. No, the Bible says we're created in God's image and we're physical and we're emotional and most importantly, we're spiritual. And therefore, it it shouldn't surprise us that what we feed on spiritually is of vital importance. In fact, what we feed on spiritually is of the greatest importance, because it's about both life before death and life after death. Now, last week, we looked at the first half of John chapter 6. And uh, if you were here, you'll remember it kicked off with a couple of amazing miracles. Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a, a small boy's picnic, 12 Basketfuls of leftovers being collected, then Jesus walking across water to join his disciples in a boat. But but the key thing about these miracles, if you remember from chapter 6, verse 4, was when they were performed. Just just look back at verse 4 of chapter 6 with me. John flags up for us, the Jewish Passover festival was near. And if you remember, Passover was the time when, if you were a Jew, what you were thinking about was God rescuing your ancestors from slavery in Egypt. That, that was a rescue that took them into the wilderness, a place where they were miraculously fed with manna bread from heaven. It was a rescue that involved God taking them over a sea on dry land as he parted the Red Sea. And what Jesus was doing in the first half of John 6 was, was showing us, here I am, God's son, come to perform an extraordinary rescue again. There's miraculous bread, there's, there's crossing wet on dry. Uh, the question is, would people believe him? And uh, he made an incredible promise. Do you remember the promise he made last week to those who did believe him? It came in verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It sounds like a life of complete satisfaction. A life of contentment now and forever. Now why would coming to Jesus give you a life like that? And what does it look like to to believe in him? Because the Jews who are listening to Jesus in John 6, they're far from convinced. In fact, we're going to see in the second half of the passage, there's quite a lot of grumbling about what Jesus says. So what we're going to see this morning is three reasons to feed on Jesus, to come to him. Here's the first one. We need to come to Jesus because Jesus is the one from God, so feed on him. Look at how the Jews... Are reacting to what Jesus is saying down in verse 41 at the beginning of our passage for today. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread of heaven that came, the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Heaven? <laughs> I, th- I thought he grew up just up the road. I mean, isn't that? Don't you remember him going to primary school? Isn't this Jesus? You see, as they look at the man standing before them, they can only see the boy they remember from the past, even though he's just fed them with a, with a massive miracle. And so Jesus replies, verse 43, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. It's, it's actually a favorite pastime of the, the Israelites in that period of the Exodus. They loved grumbling. Oh, the manor's boring. We want something else. Oh, I'm thirsty. Oh, it's a long way. Oh, wasn't it better eating cucumber sandwiches back in Egypt? They grumbled all the time. In fact, in fact, we love grumbling, don't we? Oh, we do. Isn't, isn't a lot of our conversation basically having a good moan? You know, we moan about our job or we moan about our family or being British people, we moan about the weather. I mean, when was anyone ever said to you, Oh, the weather's just right today. It's always too hot or too cold or too dry or too wet. People love to grumble. I've got Brexit. It's fantastic. We've got a whole new level of grumbling we can do. (laughs) Interestingly, this is the only command in the passage. Stop grumbling. And I think that's because the problem is when we're grumbling, we're just so self-centered, aren't we? We're so self-absorbed. It's all about us and our emotions, and, and we spend hours reflecting on our problems. And when we're like that, I think like these Jews, we can just fail to see the love of God before us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus says in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus says, God the Father has a divine gift he's going to give you of, of coming to me, his Son." you know coming to a relationship with Jesus it's not a distant learning course it's it's something that God gives you we've already seen in John's gospel it's, it's up on the window there God gives his one and only son so we can have a relationship a relationship he calls life life now and then to be raised on the day that God judges the world to enjoy life with him forever it's not a clever decision we make. We've seen already in John's Gospel, it's, it's a gift as the Father gives us to his Son. It's about his sovereign love. And the way that that gift is given, well, we see it in verse 45. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. The way that we get given to the Son, the way we come to a relationship through Jesus is through God's Word, through, through hearing. It's the way God has always done business with his world. He speaks and he calls people to know him. He woos them. This is actually a quote from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 54, where God has just given his suffering servant who lays down his life in bloody sacrifice for his people, and he's brought a people to himself, and now they're listening to what the servant has to say. The servant, of course, we know is Jesus. You see, Jesus says, stop grumbling. That There's an extraordinary life on offer if you'll just listen to me. And he is uniquely qualified to give us that life. Verse 46, no one has ever seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. There's only, there's only one man who can reveal God to us, uh, the son from his father in heaven. I, I love this little story. I'm going to play you a little video clip now. It's just a gratuitous story that I love. Have a little look at this.
1: Adele surprises her lookalikes when she auditioned for a role as an Adele impersonator. You are joking. I could you <laughs> Adele goes undercover and pulls the greatest prank of all time. The Hello singer made subtle changes to her look, putting on a prosthetic nose and chin to get into her character as Jenny the nanny. <laughs> I'm Gabriella. Jenny. <laughs> the other impersonators had no idea the Grammy winner was in disguise as she appeared to freeze on stage. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. I a
0: bit nervous. More time? Mm-hmm. i do it one more time. Okay, one more time. One more. Mm-hmm.
1: But the Adele impersonators quickly realized the joke was on them when Jenny belted out these notes that only the real Adele could hit. But, oh, but I will never do <laughs> no works. <laughs> <laughs> Just let my noise Adele might have a future in acting after pulling off that stunt. I could make you happy, maybe your dreams, dreams come true. <laughs> it's
0: worth going to see the longer version of Adele impersonating herself. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That that actually the Lord Jesus Christ is not a God impersonator. He is God himself come to earth in the person of his son so we can know him intimately. You see how excited the, the real Adele fans get about meeting the real Adele. What, what, what the Lord Jesus is doing is inviting us into a real meeting with the, the real God. It's emphasized in, in our passage. He repeats it again and again. So, so verse 41 Jesus says, I came from heaven, verse 42. I came down from heaven, verse 50. I, that comes down from heaven, verse 51. I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. That's what he's offering. And past experience should have taught these Jews who are listening to them that, that they lacked something in their relationship with God. Look what Jesus says in verse 49. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I've come that you might know God, and I'm the only one who can reveal that to you because because I am God on earth in the person of his Son. And I've come that you might have a relationship with God that that lasts through death forever. Not like your ancestors who might have eaten manna in the desert, but they, they died. Now, if you're someone here who doesn't yet think you know God, if you're someone here who wants to explore the the reality of who God is, it it begins and ends your search with the person of Jesus. He's the one sent by God His Father so you can have an eternal relationship with him forever, the the relationship you were made for. It's why we, we... Want to encourage you to, to read John's Gospel for yourself. It's why we want to give you a, a Gospel on the way out. It's why we want to talk to you about this person, Jesus Christ. But for those of us here this morning who would say, yeah, "I know Jesus," I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if, if you, when you're standing at your front door, say this afternoon, the doorbell goes and there is Adele standing on the door step in front of you? I mean, whether you like her music or not, here is an internationally famous artist, I expect your, your pulse would go up a bit. You'd be a little bit excited, especially when she said, I'd like to come in and have a brew. You sat down and you talked with her. I wonder if you remember a few years ago, Gwyneth Paltrow was asked to introduce President Obama. She, she got such in a fluster that, that all she managed to say was, you're so handsome I can't speak properly. That There's something about meeting someone important. And, and if we're here today, and, and we follows the Lord Jesus Christ, we meet someone far more important in him. There's a danger, I think, we can have a, a children's sort of Bible view of Jesus. You know there's pictures in children's Bibles like this one? He, he's sort of the nicest, he's the bloke with the nicest smile in the group. He's kind, he's gentle. But, but he doesn't really look that exciting or like God. But what we saw of Jesus last week in... In John chapter 6 is that, that he's the one who's so powerful, he scares the pants off the disciples. They're terrified by him. And yet at the same time, he's the one so gentle that he uses that power to help and to heal fragile and frail people. Like we saw in John 5, he's the one who, who's going to call all humanity out of our graves just by the sound of his voice. One day everyone will hear Jesus' voice and will be raised to life, to face judgment. And yet he's the one who speaks words of tender, gentle love to a woman beside a well, a woman who's been rejected by everyone else. You see, we need to draw near to Jesus, the one from heaven, who uniquely reveals God to us in in his compassion and in his incomparable power. And verse 51 tells us how Jesus brings that that life, that, that relationship to us. Look at verse 51. He says... I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So here's the second thing. Jesus gives his life for the world. Feed on him. Jesus gives his life for the world. Feed on him. Now now the Jews listening to Jesus, again, they're struggling. They're grumbling. What he says seems just not a bit far-fetched. It seems a bit gross. Do you see how they react in verse 52? then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How could this man give his flesh to eat? What Jesus said next can't have helped. Verse 53, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Oh, What is Jesus talking about, this, this strange cannibalism? But remember, it's Passover time. And at Passover time, the Jews remembered how on the the last plague, the the night that God brought judgment on the people of Egypt, the the night that he killed all their firstborn sons, he told them to to slaughter a lamb. The lamb was to die in the place of the Jewish firstborn son, to to daub its blood around the doorframe. And so as the angel of death came, he would pass over their house because he would know that the lamb had died. But then they were to, to roast the lamb and they were to consume it completely as the family. It, it was a way of saying that, that we have trusted that, that this lamb has died in the place of our son. So at Passover time, when you're eating flesh, there's only one flesh you're thinking of. The lamb that, that died in the place of your ancestors in Egypt. And therefore, when John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, as he pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, well, he's pointing to the one who's going to die in the place of his people. When Jesus says, feed on his flesh, drink his blood, well, he's talking about his death at the cross. That's the place that he points forward to, where his flesh is given, where his Blood is shed where Jesus dies as his people's substitute, as the lamb of Passover died as the firstborn son's substitute. Did you see the key word in verse 53? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, unless you do this, he says you have no life in you. You see, for those Israelites back in the Passover, if they didn't kill the lamb, if they didn't do what God told them, then they would not escape his judgment. Death would come to that household. And so Jesus says now, unless you trust in my death for you, unless you do that, you have no life. No life in relationship with God and no life in eternity with him. Because the night that God's judgment came, well, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. There is going to be a day, says the Lord Jesus Christ, when he will raise all people to face judgment. And on that day, only if you believe that he has died in your place, then on that day will you face eternal life with him, not the condemnation that, that we all deserve it's real says jesus in verse 55 it's not just some strange transaction by an anonymous god no no this is real this is the only way to have a relationship with me and look at the privileges of those relationships that relationship in verse 56 whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and i in them Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. If you trust in in my death on the cross for you, says Jesus, you are are bound to me in an intimate personal relationship. You remain in me and I remain in you. You're you're bound to my Father in heaven. You're given life. You get to experience the, the love of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. I've done a bit of extensive research uh, for this sermon. I spared no no expense. I asked three people a question. And the question was this. When do you feel most loved by God? When do you feel closest to him? And in my sample of three people, 100% of them said the same thing. When I think of Jesus' death on the cross for me. Or to put it in John 6 terms, when I feed on his flesh and when I drink his blood. That's when we know we're most loved by God. I don't think as Jesus teaches in John 6, uh, the Jews would be thinking about the Lord's table where we eat bread and drink wine. But, But undoubtedly, you can see the link, can't you? That place where we think most of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's why the the image of feeding on Jesus is so important. But because in verse 54 and 56, that whoever eats suggests there's an ongoing feeding that needs to happen. It's not, oh, I trusted in Jesus' death on the cross when I listened to our YPF talk, our youth group talk back in uh, 2010. No, it's every day I need to feed on Jesus dying for me. It was one of the lessons of the manor in the desert the miraculous bread that God gave to his people, you could only ever collect enough for that day. If you try to store it up, it just went off. It grew maggots. It was God's way of teaching them, no, you need to depend on me every day. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think as Christians, we can, we can feel distant from God. Or we can feel that I'm not getting to know God deeply. And I suspect that is when we don't think of, of what the Lord has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, when that doesn't consume our view of the world. It can be easy, can't it, to forget the cross or to trivialize the cross or not to dwell upon the cross, to, to, to say, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, but, but not to think of the wonder of what that means each day. Or perhaps you're here and you're struggling with a deep sense of shame from the past. You get up each morning and you you just can't rid yourself of those events that that are seared upon your conscience. And the amazing news is that when you feed on the Lord Jesus, you see that they're washed, not just out of your life, but out of history. And he has dealt with them and there is nothing for you to be ashamed of anymore. You are totally clean as you feed on the Lord Jesus' death for you. Or, Or perhaps you're struggling with anxiety in the present. And you just don't know how you can make it through each day. You seem so alone and helpless. But when you come to the cross and you feed on, on the, the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus, you see that is how God is totally committed to you. And therefore, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. There is not one moment of any single day when the crucified Lord Jesus, risen and ascended, is not with you by his spirit. It won't make the day easy, but you'll never be alone. Or perhaps you're struggling about the future, or the future of your, your family. You're trying to order your life to, to, to make it work. And you can't see how it's ever going to be a future that, that is anything other than a, a, a bitter struggle and battle. But when you look to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see that, as Paul says in Romans, if, if he gave his own son for us, won't God surely give us all things? And so each, each morning as we get up and we look to the cross, we can know that the future is utterly certain. But because a God who's done that for us is is surely going to give us eternity in paradise with him. Did you see how feeding, simply feeding on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you? In dying in your place, in bearing in his body your sin, feeding on his flesh and blood can actually begin to make a difference on the way you view the day. And we've said this again in John, and I'll say it again and again. That's not going to change the circumstances. It's not going to take away your cancer. It's not going to make your kids obedient. It's not going to mean that your boss is suddenly a nice person. But it might just mean that you have a little bit more strength in the Lord Jesus to make it to the end of the day with slightly fewer tears and slightly more hope. That's what he's talking about. You see, see, Jesus has given his life for the world, so feed on him, he says. But, but, but that's hard. No, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to do, but, because here's the third thing. We need to see Jesus has the words of eternal life, believe on him. You'd think that, that, that's an easy thing to do, wouldn't you? That's a beautiful offer, that's a wonderful offer. But look how the disciples react in verse 60. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Uh, This is his followers. It's not the Jews who've been largely critical of him. This is his followers. Why is this a hard teaching? Why is it a hard teaching to feed on the one who's died for you? They go on to say, this is too much. They actually begin to to grumble amongst each other. Aware of this, these disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Or literally, is this a scandal to you? Why is such love, God giving himself, a scandal to us? You haven't seen anything yet, Jesus says in verse 62. I mean, if you find this hard, wait until you see the ascension. That's totally nuts. The reason we find this such a scandal comes in verse 63. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are full of spirit and life. Only God's Spirit can give this life to people by... By bringing them to trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, And the problem is, if if that's going to happen, the other side of the coin is, as as that work happens, you realize your flesh counts for nothing. In, In other words, what we do and who we are counts for nothing. We live in a world that says, your flesh counts for everything. In fact, the world, because it believes that that we're largely material, that that we don't really have much of a spiritual existence, says your flesh is all you've got. And what you've got to do is you've got to realize how good your flesh is, how good you are. You've got to make yourself the person that you want to be. You've got to achieve in the way that you can. Your flesh is everything. But to come to Jesus, uh, this work of the Spirit has to occur, and as it occurs, you realize your flesh counts for nothing. Not just your efforts to live a life worthy of God are useless, which, which they are, but actually who you are is not defined by looking within yourself and saying, oh no, I, I really have achieved well today, I, I can be secure in myself today, I can sort myself out today. No, actually who you are comes from looking outside yourself to see the God who's made you in his image and given his son for you and find security and meaning and purpose in him. I think we have uh, what I call the jam jar attitude to life. I've got to the stage in life, sadly, where my sons, uh, the two older ones, are probably stronger than me. I wanted to get into some little gherkins. I recommend them to you. Last week, and there was me, Hugh, Bryn, around the table, um, and uh, I couldn't get the jar open. I had to go first. You know. So I gave it to Hugh, gave it to Bryn. Bryn's probably the strongest of us now. It pains me to say it. Fortunately, he couldn't get it open, so my ego was just preserved about. Eventually, it got around the table enough times, and finally, Brin got it open. Now, now, I think that we have that sort of mentality of life. We grab the jar of life, and we go, I really need to do this myself. I am going to open the jar of life, and I will do it on my own. And there's a, there's a God up there going, no, you can't. No, really, your flesh counts for nothing. But, but actually, I have given my son so that you, you can have those very things that you're craving in relationship with me. I'm going to get the jar open. And, and we struggle. We don't want to admit, actually, I can't do this. And that, that, that problem is called pride, isn't it? And it's a killer of our spiritual life because it keeps us from Jesus. We want to trust our flesh, not Jesus. Jesus. We want to trust our ideas about God. We don't want to admit that only Jesus is actually the one who brings us to know God and gives us righteousness before God and is the one who gives us sense of purpose in life. We generally want to think we're nice people. And you can tell we want to trust our flesh because when someone says to us, oh, do you know what, you failed in that area or that was wrong, what we do is we don't go, I know I'm a wretch, but praise God, Jesus has died for me. We go, no, no. Let me argue with you and prove to you I was right. We cling all the time to our own righteousness and we we won't trust Jesus. That's why it's a hard teaching. It's a hard teaching because to feed on Jesus, you're having to say, I rely on him completely and on him alone. And only the Spirit of God working in us can bring us to do that. Most weeks I resign. In my head, I've only written one letter of resignation. It wasn't here. It was in my last job. They wouldn't accept it, swines. Most weeks I resign. Thursday was sermon writing this week. And uh, I resigned this week because uh, uh, our youngest, uh, Tom, got very, very angry. So I, I dealt with it in the usual sensible way. I totally lost it and screamed in his face. Funnily enough, that didn't work. Now, I'm not telling you that so you are justified in your anger. Please don't be. It's a sin. I'm not telling you that because I need cancelling, which I may well do. But I am telling you that because you need to know I need Jesus. He is my only righteousness. He is my only righteousness. Only as I feed on his flesh and blood shed for me does today, it—is it, is it, is it make any sense at all? Can, can I cope with it at all? Many of you will know John Newton's amazing grace. He wrote that hymn. Uh, Many of you will know he's uh, converted from being a slave trader. He lived to 82, and he continued to preach and have an active ministry uh, until his death. And and this is what he he said. Here's a man who, who knew what it was daily to feed on the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. You won't feel Jesus is a great saviour. If you don't feel that you're a great sinner. And that's why this is a hard teaching. That's why the Jews walk away. Do you see how the disciples walk away? Verse 66. From this time many of his disciples turned back to no longer followed him. He starts with really a huge crowd of 5,000 plus at the beginning of this chapter. He ends with, with a handful. Probably just 12. Uh, In verse 67, Jesus asked the twelve, You do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've become to believe and to know that you're the only, you are the Holy One of God. That's the issue, isn't it? You'll only feed on Jesus if he's the only place you can go to. You will only feed on Jesus' flesh and blood, his death at the cross, if you genuinely see without him you're totally helpless. Otherwise, you're just always gonna be picking up the jam jar of life and trying to open it for yourself. We, uh, we went to a 50th birthday party yesterday. I was chatting to one of our old friends. She was the, um, I probably shouldn't say this, but she was the sort of young woman um, when we were at university together who basically when she walked in the room, every bloke in the room's head turned. And uh, we talked about, now she's 50, we talked about how she'd been dreaming about, when she was younger, about being married young. But, but in the end, she married relatively late in life. We talked about how she'd imagined herself having six children. She comes from a big family herself. But uh, they'd had to wait some time before their, uh, their daughter was born. And as a little girl, she would needed major surgery on her hips. And she was the only child that uh, they could have. We talked about how her career seemed to be taking off. She actually became the head teacher of a a private school. But the week after being congratulated by the the governors on what a great job she was doing, uh, she arrived at school to be told to pack her desk and to leave immediately because she'd been fired. And to this day, she has never been told why. See, her path through life has not been what she dreamed of. But what struck me is she wasn't moaning. She wasn't grumbling. She thanked God for her loyal and loving husband. And she thanked God for her little girl. And she thanked God for the teaching job she had in a a primary school in a pretty rough catchment area. It was not the life she dreamed of. But it was the life where she had had to feed on Jesus, the bread of heaven. And you know what? There was a tangible humility about her. That there was a tangible dependence on God's love for her in Christ. And as a result, I don't think I've ever seen her look more beautiful. Jesus is totally unique. He is life. So feed on him. Most of all, feed on his death for you. The place where his love is most magnified. Just come in, in your mind on a daily basis to the foot of the cross. Because there you'll find the love you need to keep going. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else who has the words of eternal life. So will you feed on him? Let's pray together. we thank and praise you uh, that you have drawn us to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank and praise you that you came both to reveal perfectly your father, that you are the one who has come from heaven, and you also came to lay down your life, that we could come into a relationship with you, we could enjoy life now and forever with you. Thank you, this passage shows us how that was planned, how you even knew your betrayer. Lord Jesus, help us to feed on you. So often, so naturally, we want to sort out our lives, ourselves. We don't want to come humbly to you. We don't want to come needily to you. But we needlessly try and make things right on our own. Bring us daily to the foot of the cross. Bring us to your love and grace. Uh, Bring us to your flesh and blood given for us. Uh, Might we feed there and uh, know in you all the strength we need. For your name's sake, amen. We sing lots of songs that we don't always live. Christ alone, my cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone, nothing else, no one else, not a bank balance, not a job, not a family, but Christ alone, cornerstone. Let's close by singing this together.